0: Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom picked for you, more scheduling, flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash backside ground balls. That's betterhelp.com help, slash backside ground balls. Um, um.
1: Powered by Riverside.
0: Welcome back to episode 105 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers and I am joined as always by my co-host Dan Galati as well as our producer Phoebe. We have a super special episode today. We're super excited to welcome Colton Lovelace. He's going into his second year as the director of video and analytics for Oklahoma State spent two years on top of that as the GA at Oklahoma State before moving into a full-time role and he also served as a data and video intern with USA Baseball. Colton, thank you for hopping on here today. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Long time, long time coming. Yeah, we've been trying to make this happen for a couple months. Uh, We we obviously reached out and connected through social media um, and just I mean, any time's better than no time, right? I mean, just trying right. to make this happen and, and talk some ball. And now we're lucky enough where you're in the summer months where it's not as hectic and busy as as prime time, late Big Twelve season. And and we're here just looking for something to do on our Sunday nights. So we're we're very grateful for that.
1: Yeah, no, I am too, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm excited.
0: Of- of course. So we're going to start you off with a tough one here. Um, obviously, it's been in the news pretty recently for through the NCAA and it's conference realignment, right? The Big 12 was ever changing before the news that came out recently with the additions of obviously Colorado a couple of weeks ago, but as well as Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. Now the Big 12 has expanded into 16 teams, and there's a good chance that it might be adding more to catch up with the Big Ten, but our thoughts obviously go towards the other athletes, right? As former baseball coaches, we think about how does that impact the the non-revenue generating sports? How does that impact not football? So at least from your perspective, you don't have to get in the weeds too much. How does that impact your baseball schedule? How does it impact travel on the athletes? What are the biggest concerns from your standpoint about confidence realignment?
1: Yeah. I mean, it'll be anywhere from, you know, the travel budget to, hotels to class schedule to you know an extra four teams we're trying to compete with to win a regular season title conference title like whole nine yards you can think about i mean it's you know it's nuts that people forget that you know we compete for three days and then our kids have to go monday morning you know to an 8 a.m to go to economics or something like you know they're they're student athletes um and obviously some of this is kind of geared towards football as everybody knows um I don't know. You know, it's exciting. I mean, you kind of, you kind of get tired of playing the same teams over and over every year. Um, you know, and Utah and BYU have super, super pretty stadiums and backdrops and whole nine yards and really good programs. And obviously Arizona and Arizona state are traditional college baseball powerhouses. So getting to play them in a conference series home and away, um, you know, we played Arizona state a couple of years ago on the road. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, you can look at it any way you want. Um, we don't really have a a say on it in the end, as much as we would like to, but we just got to do what the conference tells us to do, and hopefully we can keep winning regular season titles.
2: I know you guys got a fall season to get through before you even probably cross a lot of these bridges, but just you know, something that goes to my mind is is when you add in this much travel. You know, for example, you know, uh, you guys have to head to Orlando, Florida, some years. You guys have to head to Provo, like you were talking about, play BYU. Does that? Potentially change not only I guess like your midweek scheduling probably a little bit because you have to worry about the miles. But how about like practice? I don't know if you guys have had a conversation as a staff about that or anything. But like just like hey, these guys you know rest and recovery is paramount, especially when you talk about playing you know a a 60-game college baseball season. You know will that have to you know we have to change some of those things because hey we have to go to Orlando this weekend then we got to come back and then next weekend you know you might be going to Morgantown.
1: Right. No, I think I think midweeks will be the probably the biggest thing that take a hit. I mean, and we're lucky too that we probably don't go more than three and a half for a midweek. Um, like DBU and Missouri State are probably our two longest midweeks, and it's probably three three and a half hours. Um, so you're getting back at hopefully a relatively decent time, but you know you probably can't go to Dallas Baptist on a Tuesday night and play them because we want to have an RPI game. Um, and then turn around, and Thursday morning we're flying out at 6 o'clock in Oklahoma City to go to, you know, Salt Lake City. Like, you probably can't do that. Um, Luckily, most of the time we have our off days on Wednesday, um, and then we'll have light days on Mondays anyway. Our strength coach does a really good job of keeping track of guys high and low days and the one-on-one with the trainer and doing the whole nine yards, and our, our, our head coach and the staff are super in tune with, you know, making sure that, we we do have to play 56 games in the end, so taking BP at one o'clock on a Wednesday is not necessarily as paramount as guys, you know, going to study hall and whatever. Like it, you know, it's not always about baseball, you know, in that times and you know, maybe during those weeks it'll take more of a presence and or paramount, you know, over the weeks where we're at home for a midweek and home for a, a road series or you know playing OU at home that weekend,
0: you know, I don't know, so. Yeah, I mean, as much as I'd love to, to dive in the weeds on the negative stuff, I, we want to talk about some positives here. And we, and we brought you on and, and obviously want to get some information out of you about kind of how you guys run things there. So as much as I'd love to get more information about Conference alignment, we're going to have plenty of time to, yeah. to digest the new reality of college baseball and how all that impacts it. So our first question and, and probably what our listeners are, are wondering too is just describe for us your role with the Cowboys
1: yeah so director of video analytics it's anything from you know in-game video capture scrimmage video capture uh really any sort of practice whatever if got if coaches want film you know making sure all the angles are covered going um whole analytics side i i'm in charge of whether it's TrackMan, you know rap soto and anything we're, we're getting a force plate mound this year um, you know, anything you can think of kind of falls on my plate to be in charge of. Um, and we like to think of it as, or I do is in the fall, it's more of a PD, a thought process. And then in the spring, it's kind of more of a crunching numbers and analytical thought process. Um, you know, as you said, Trevor, before we came on, like, you know, you don't want to do as much PD during the season. So, that was kind of our thought process and that whole thing that allows me to do more scouting and, Whatever it can be, I mean, it's a multitude of, of roles. Whether it's hitting fungos to the pitchers during PFPs on the half field, or you know, if they need me to throw a BP, I can I can throw a BP. Um, not as good as Robin Ventura's BP, but like <laughs> it can it can it's decent. But you know, really anything regarding that, you know, this summer, the last two summers, you know, being involved in the transfer portal, um, kind of that route, that's kind of been a growing responsibility for me in regards to you know updating it giving our coaches names guys I like why I like them looking at metrics and all this stuff and yeah I mean it's a it's kind of a wide role um but officially it's video and analytics so
2: um I'm kind of interested in in a little bit diving into leveraging the analytics because um you know my opinion on it is just on how this is kind of developed is obviously we started hearing that that scary word, analytics, in the major league level um, for right. a couple years. And everyone, again, treated it like, you know, it was, you know, there was almost like Salem Witch Trials for analytics sometimes. Um, right. But then you started to see some of that stuff get into the college game. And, you know, it was, you know, people getting Rap rapsodos, people getting track man, people getting some of the force plate technology that you're talking about. And I think that it kind of could overwhelm you. A little bit. Right. If you're just diving in, you know, and some people they just ended up, you know, collecting dust, especially in the beginning. There, I, I would, I would say that people didn't quite understand how to leverage the stuff. It was just a recruiting tool. Hey, we have this stuff. Come play for us. But yeah. you know, your role to me is so important in kind of building the structure and leveraging that stuff to actually help guys and, and see it pay off on the field. How do you kind of go about doing that almost? You know, how do you build a, a model to say, okay, you know, we're taking these TrackMan numbers, you know, we can pull this from TrackMan, You know, we need to use the force plates, you know, for our pitching staff to understand, you know, how they're moving on the mound, how we can make them move more efficiently. And when you have 25 pitchers and 25 hitters, that can be a lot to take on. So how do you kind of go about structuring that?
1: Yeah, so first thing you hit on the head, like, you know, my first couple years at KU, my sophomore year, we actually, that was when we first got kind of Edgetronic, soto, all this stuff. And, you know, it was, it, we had it, but we never really used it. And it was kind of my responsibility to like, honestly, learn it and take it on or whatever. And, um, the coaches, the coaches took to it, but not completely. Cause it was still kind of, like you said, it was, a, it was a no, no, like whatever. And that, that's, that is what it is, but, um, here we're. I mean, we're really lucky that you know we have Baseball Cloud. We have some services that kind of we get all the data, and then especially Baseball Cloud, like we can take bullpen sessions, batting practice sessions, catcher framing, scrimmage reports, everything. Put it put it into Baseball Cloud, and it's all one database for us to kind of manage as a as a staff, um, and. We, we go from there and then we can identify, you know, the important variables, whatever. Um, and I think also too is knowing how to sp- like not not speak baseball, but like I know how our coaches work and what they want. So like if our pitching coach, if we're doing a bullpen and like, I, we have all the numbers, but we don't look at the entire screen. Like if we have one guy that we're trying to fix a changeup on, like we're doing nothing but staring at spin direction. Like, like, we we try to single out like small but extremely important things that like the, the kid'll get and our pitching coach like obviously knows how to manipulate, spin and do all this stuff, but like I can see it on the Rap Soto right after each pitch, like, hey, you know, you're at you're at one fifty, we're trying to get to two thirty, like you gotta get more more out in front and more rollover, maybe you need to drop your slot, a hair, like stuff like that. And, like we saw that with blast motion too, especially was taking single metrics out of a out of a session with guys um and that kind of helped. like we would set up a tv screen next to the to the the bubble on on the main field like guys would see their swing and, you know they see the diagram and all the metrics and they're like they're mind blown and you're like all right well hold on like you need to look at this one metric because this is the one thing that we're trying to get you on plane like you're you're super steep we talked about this coming on but like I think singling out important things that help immediately into development because like development only happens in one day. Like it doesn't, it's not a thing that you look at two months down. Like, obviously we want, we want the ideal guy by June, you know, when regionals start, but you have to take it day by day and super simple and easy for these guys. Not because they're not smart. Like they're, they're super smart. They've grown up with all these analytics and everything. Um, but over the course of, I mean, we have 45 actual days to practice with them. Like you, You can kind of slowly implement and see the progress of certain things as you go, but you need to make sure that, because each guy's different too, um, make sure that that important variables for each guy are getting measured, getting tracked. They understand what they're doing wrong, and then I can relay that information to the coaches. They see it, but this is more validation for the both of them um, that they are right, and they can kind of speed along that process. Yeah, and I just think it's you know to me, the 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 issue of the the headbutting in in
2: in the sport of analytics and stuff, and I think I from the outside fan perspective, like I get you don't understand it, and so that frustrates you, and and I get that. Right. But just from the you know coaching side of things and the player development side, which you know you're all over, it's so crucial to be able to I think what you hit there was translating it right and speaking the language right, yep. being able to say to a kid like because everybody learns differently and so for a kid to sit there and they can be overwhelmed by all those numbers you know if you're on the mound and you're trying to throw a bullpen and work on something and you're seeing spin rate and spin direction and extension and axis and like that I mean it's frustrating but to have a coach there and be able to say hey this is the one number that goes so far for a kid and then two we live in a microwave society so the importance for guys to, you know, just the confidence of saying, I understand that I'm getting better by having this information right here in front of me, pitch to pitch. I think for this generation of college athlete, it's just massive. And, and so how do you then, you know, I, I, you're getting all this data and how does that process go of like then translating it to the student athlete and saying, you know, this is what we need you to work on today. And how does that buy-in kind of work within your guys'
1: program? Right. Uh, so we're actually old school, and and uh, shout-out, Always Grind, Joe Maroney. Uh, the Always Grind Notebooks, is that's a huge teaching tool, development tool for us. It's like, well, when guys throw bullpens, when we take BP, everything, we have a hitting notebook and we have a pitching notebook. And when a guy's throwing a bullpen – they have their water, they have their turfs or their, their lifting shoes because they go obviously to the, lift, the weight room after then they have their notebook right there. Um, and whenever they feel, if they have a feel, you know, if, if Rob gives them a cue in a bullpen, whatever, like Rob will tell them to stop. Like, they can be on pitch 45 and he'll be like, stop. He'll be like, write it down. He's like, like, go write it down. Like it's still, that's the old, like that's the old school, you know, you write it down, you remember it. I mean, whatever, but we think that's one of the bigger things for us. Is like, once you feel it on the spot, like, cause I mean, everything that adds up at that point is like, it's like, you know, holy crap. Like I felt it like that had the right action that had the right fade, you know, that's exactly what I want to get a left-handed hitter out. Write it down, like in our, and we'll take the, we have all day, like, you know, this is, this is solely my job is to be there. So it's not like the kids getting rushed to, you know, throw the bullpen get out of there or whatever, like, we want to make sure that you remember everything, and that's a huge part uh, for us. Is making sure that you know you write it down. You make sure you feel it. Um, another thing that we do is I have a OneDrive for the entire team, and we sort it by folders: hitting, pitching, catching, everything you can think of. And the guys get access to each folder, and that's where all the video, data reports from Baseball Cloud, in-game stuff, everything you could think of, go in those folders. So when they, like, if they throw a bullpen at three o'clock, it's in their one drive folder by three thirty with edutronic, you know, front side, slow-mo, everything you can think of rap Soto. So they can actually go in and see like, okay, like change up six was, you know, they write it down. Like they feel it on that pitch. They can go watch it in the slow-mo and feel it, you know, and just making sure that they have access to it. Now you don't want to obviously like we run into the sensory overload and everything. Um, But making sure that they always have an ability to go back and find how what they felt when they did that certain action same thing goes for hitting and you know catching and whatever we do with all the stuff man i mean it's as long as you know and you write it down or you have an access point to go back and see it when you did it and you know what you felt like that's a huge part for us and can kind of uh, continuing the development process
0: yeah, it's so, it's so cool. You you were speaking my language there. When when I finished playing, it, it, it's funny when I transferred to uh, Goldie Beacom, where where Dan and I were. You know, on the same staff I played one year and, and I actually had one of those notebooks but I didn't have Oklahoma State level uh, talent so like right. I was just putting down notes for for really my, really I always say like the end of my playing career was just like trial and error for my coaching career because I knew that's right. what I would, wanted to do but that's why I was like that's so awesome because I that's exactly what I would do, I'd, I'd take a good round or a bad round, I'd grade myself and be like what'd you yep. feel, like there were feels that to this day I can still remember clicking in my brain during BP's like oh, that clicked, right? And how can I write that down? How can I remember that best as possible? But you kind of got into it a little bit. And and I think when when I transferred to Goldie Beacon where we had a lot more technology, one of the things that, because I was somebody who wanted the analytics, I was somebody who wanted the tech, is paralysis by analysis, right? You start chasing these numbers, you start chasing those one numbers that you're talking about. And next thing you know, you're a robot, right? And this is something that a lot of old school, I mean, you work with a ton of dudes that have been around baseball since before blast motion was even a a thought, right? And those are guys that have raked since the the age of time. But how do you kind of handle that balance, especially being the analytics guy, like presenting that information to a guy that might be like, you know, no, I trust what I'm seeing right here, or a player who's, like, chasing, you know, I want to spin this, I want to spin this, and, and just being like, dude, you got to compete at the end of the day.
1: Right. I mean, there's – there obviously there's a fine line, you know. Uh, numbers are great until, you know, the lights turn on and they run out there for the first inning. Like, I can't throw out a number to them and them help, like, that help them throw that pitch. Like, you still have to go out and actually do it and execute. Um I mean, it's, you know, we, we kind of look at it as a an individual basis a little bit. Like like our shortstop from last year, he was a fourth rounder or fifth rounder by the Nationals. Like you could throw everything in the book at him, and he could he could intake it, whole nine yards. He would know like what the – like everything. Like he's super analytical, and I don't think that ever hurt his success. Like whenever like he would be in a slump or everything, like he wasn't pushing for – you know, like, I need you to send me all my heat maps on fastballs against righties, like, you know, whatever. Like, getting super into it. And, you know, we also had the super other extreme is, you know, we had another kid that was a super high draft pick that never looked at any of it. Like, he, I would send him video and he would see, like, he would ask for like a home run swing. He'd be like, that's where I feel my best. Like, I'm like, I'm sure it does. Like, <laughs> obviously, like, not, a, not a 108 backside, like, single like whatever, but like, he would, but he would never, he didn't care about numbers, like all the stuff. And I think that, that at this level too, like we, you can't really push like a whole, like everybody is going to do it. Like, and like, obviously it's worked for some teams, like Wake Forest is like the gold standard right now. And like, they've obviously their entire team's taken to it, whatever. Um But I think, the really good teams, especially the next level too, because we have a professional approach here is like, we, we do everything based off what you need. And we're not going to, we're not going to give you like, you're going to get ever all your video, like all your report, like after game reports, whatever, but we're not going to throw down your throat. Like in Oh one counts, you're getting 48% breaking ball and 52 fastball. Cause it's like, it's obviously 50, 50, but now they're going to be sitting there thinking about that. And they're not, they're not chasing what they're actually need to be doing. in o one one count, like, Whole nine yards. So that's kinda of our thought process on it. Um, it just mainly it's just kid to kid to be honest. And pitching's the same way too.
0: Yeah, that's and that that's kind of what I wanna want you to because you mentioned about like percentages and things like that. Is that kind of what the game plan is sent? Like, how do you guys kind of go in with to scouting? I guess my my brain's on the offensive side, but um, you know, like pitch usage. What's kind of some of the things that at least you highlight, or is it the whole thing? And then you know, one kid needs one thing and another needs another. Yeah. So we'll do. Uh
1: Josh and our hitting coach and uh, third base coach will get reports on a pitcher with everything on it. Like OO like O to 3 2, like fastball to change, like everything you can freaking think of. Um, you know, heat maps on where they throw early, you know, behind, uh, two strike, like whatever. Um and then it's kinda on them to, you know, take They'll ask like, all right, you know, is it high spin? You know, is it is it high spin breaking ball? Like, you know, is there are there outliers in the data or in the met lane, in the heat maps, or whatever you guys are seeing that need to be addressed? You know, like we faced K State's closer this year and he's like undoubtedly the best closer in the country, like 94, 97 seven, five ten, so he's like a five three release height with 87 mile an 87-mile-an-hour slider, and then he actually debuted a 80-mile-an-hour curveball against us, so we didn't have that in Sky Report. Um, but, I mean, it was, like, we told him we are going in, like, if we get to him in the eighth or ninth, like, it's fastballs are only up. Like, you know, we try to dummy it down as much as we can, but it's like you're not going to see a, a fastball below your hands, and you're not going to see a breaking ball. If it's in the zone, it's it's blown away from you. Like, try to be as – is smart and easy going to the guy not telling him that it's a 3200 spin slider like because that's just going to speed him up or whatever. Um, but kind of just stuff like that like you know Josh is huge into uh, making everything a coloring book like that's his like lingo. So we try to we try to dummy it down as much as possible to the guys and make sure that you know they understand what they need to understand. but you know we go we know going into it everything we could possibly know. So
0: and, and on top of that, you started to talk a little bit about K State's closer there, and, and I'm assuming he probably had a high riding fastball. Is there anything oh, yeah. that that hitters like to know about fastball shape? I know like we would when when I was at Arcadia, we'd get eaten alive by a kid or first time through the order and, and that would kind of be my feedback is like, Hey, yeah. Hey, where are you seeing it? How are you missing it? Oh, I'm under it. Or, or, or like, you know, you can read swings, a lot of infield yeah. pop-ups, you know, it's a lot of, you know, high vert. Hey, come on, like, let's miss on top. And is there anything that, that hitters have seen to work? Um, when you kind of get that feedback of like, Hey, he's riding it up in the zone. Like Alex Bregman talks about thinking a ball above the ball yeah. and that helps him. Is, is there anything specific there?
1: Yeah, I mean you just I mean you just hit it on the head. Like especially in the last two or three years, like we've really seen the the advancement in fastballs in the upper third. It used to be like you're 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 starting low away, you're trying to come in under the hands, and you're go back to the low in the way, and away, you might go up. Um, but I mean there are some teams in our league too that because we know the pitching coaches now, obviously, like they won't throw a fastball below our hands if we're swinging at it. And you know we have it written down on our sheets. You know the average IVB, so we can tell a guy be like, like, hey, you know this is it's 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 spinning, like it's riding. Like you know you have to stay, you have to see it at a certain level. Like Josh is big on uh, like starting points on where the ball starts. Um, So like he'll he'll make a like we have a really expensive batter's eye, but we'll be like okay, like at this part on the batter's eye, like if you see it out of the hand, like it should be like layoff of it and it's the same thing with breaking balls like high spin heater like you know if you see it start here and we understand like we have all the tendencies and everything with what they're going to try to do um so we try to kind of take into our ballpark a little bit because it is it's a super dark dark backdrop so we can kind of try to cheat it on where balls start out of the pitcher's hand um now obviously if a guy's 97 with 22 inches of vert like it's easy enough to tell them to where to start on the on the batter's eye. It's still going to ride, and they're still going to swing through it, um, just because they're not used to seeing that kind of fastball. Um, but yeah, I mean, start start and stop is kind of a big spot for us, especially on break balls, sliders specifically, because Big Twelve is a slider slider heavy league. So knowing where guys start their sliders for swing and miss, and where they start it, where we can do damage to it, is huge for our hitters.
2: You know, I, I just want to flip to the other side of the ball real quick because you got me thinking a little bit with as far as usage goes and, and building yeah. an attack plan then for the pitchers. You know, when I would call a game, at least for me, it was always like I'm going to pretty much try, You know, get as much information as possible about the other team and, and, and kind of their hitters. But then it was always at the end of the day, it was going to be, you know, this my guy's best stuff. Like what's yeah. my guy's best pitch? I'm going to probably try and ride that as much as possible but you guys obviously have a lot more information available to you when you go to build those game plans to attack kind of where do you kind of draw that line or where does your your pitching coach kind of draw that line and when you're building those plans like okay this is how we can attack this guy and then but this is what our guy does best does it more so kind of pop up when you make bullpen decisions in that weekend series or is it just kind of on a, a a gut feel based uh you know like game to game type deal
1: Right. I mean, obviously, you know, you got to go to your guys' strengths. I mean, that's – especially at this level, like, if you have a really good fastball, you got to stick to your – like, your really good fastball, 100%. Um, I think it's – so we – I mean, our pitching coach has – so he lays three buckets out in front of him as he's calling the game, and it has on the far side, it's an Excel sheet that I make with average against and then whiff and chase, chase with two strikes, um, and then – there's there might have been one more um but that's one sheet and we have a second sheet that true media has built custom reports that's the heat map on you know average against fastball breaking ball change up and then where they do like the most damage and then you have whiff zones for each pitch too so that's that's more of like me and rob will sit down thursday friday to kind of formulate how we're going to do it um and how we're going to pitch but it's more knowing, and like I said before we came on too, like Rob will watch every swing a guy takes from their first day on campus to then. So he has the most at uh, the utmost idea of a guy's swing plane, swing decisions, whole nine yards, and then the heat maps and everything kind of are felt like validation to him on, you know, he's saying this guy strikes out seven percent of the time on fastballs up. thinks that okay if we start a guy on friday night that's a third rounder by the blue jays this year like he had a really good high riding fastball We're gonna attack him up like like stuff like that like and knowing like we'll know that thursday um we're not really uh, rob's not really a big uh when they throw their bullpen during the week he doesn't really want them to focus on the team that we're going to play that weekend it's more like hey you know you threw 52% 52% strikes with your slider. Like, we got to work on getting your feel for your slider, where you start in your slider, you know, getting those those uh, those eye points, those sight points back, um, and getting just more comfortable and getting back to where we know that they can be uh, to land a ball for strikes and then eventually get a punchy, which we want all the punchies. Like, we love punchies. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're two straight years of 600-plus strikeout seasons. So we have the two highest – Strikeout numbers in our program history the last two years. Um, so, I think what we're doing is good. But again, it's it's the pitchers don't necessarily know as much, I guess, because they still have to go out and obviously compete and you know manage their emotions and whatever. Um, but we we know exactly where we're going to try to attack a hitter going into the weekend, um, and it's a combination of about four or five different things, but somehow it works I don't know and then I guess I just
2: kind of want to because a lot of that to me is is just I'm, I'm kind of in stride with you as far as like when you build those heat maps and, and of, of those opposing guys and especially with whiff rate right because like you said you're chasing punches right so you want to know hey yep. what can I generate swings and misses on and you know obviously you mentioned you know a couple minutes ago how You know, we've just seen fastballs up, like, all across baseball, really, professional level, college level, right? People are really started to chase the the IVB, right? The the vertical break, the high-spin fastballs, just getting after it. I guess for me now, though, because hitters have obviously started to adjust to that, right? We see the guys and Kevin, you know, we've talked on here a bunch about, you know, Kevin Long doing such a good job of teaching guys to stay on plane, especially with those high-spin things. Yep. I guess I want to know your opinion on because you do a lot of pitch design stuff. I know leveraging arm angle of the different guys you have, right? Because to me, when I start to think about, okay, so what's the next adjustment? And obviously, you can only, you know, again, you have to, you can see what the hitters are doing, but you have to pitch to what your guy does. Do you guys think about leveraging where you guys, you know, as far as release height and maybe axis of stuff to say, Okay, if I got a you know a guy that's that's higher and, and, and more over the top, you know I think when we first started this craze, it was a lot of that guy can be up in the zone because naturally they have, you know the, the vert break. But now is it like right. okay he's he's at a higher release point, he can be more successful down in the zone just because now that has to cross the entire zone into a hitter's right. perception. That's tough. And same thing you mentioned K State's closer. Well, I'd imagine he's successful up in the zone because at five three, a, a five three release height. That thing oh, yeah. probably looks like it's going from their ankles to their it's neck. A shift. Yeah. So, do you guys kind of, you yeah. know, take that into a, a account when you're starting to build some of this
1: stuff? Oh, 100. percent Yeah. I mean, it's that's the fun thing for me, and that's where I can nerd out is because it's, you know, it's so individualized to each guy. Um, you can't teach a, a high riding four seam that's just straight backspin from a low three quarter slot, like you can't. But you right. can create an absolute just demon sinker. From that low three-quarter spot, like, and we actually we love sinkers here because our park the ball absolutely flies, so sure. we try to we love the uh, the down angle uh, steep V A A guys, um, on their on their fastballs that we're trying to keep the ball in the yard because how they built our park is there is a wind tunnel, and it's a joke, and we got to <laughs> keep the ball in the yard. So, um, but yeah, I mean it's completely. <laughs> You know, it was, it was cool that we had a – he was a 16th runner of the Red Sox. He was from Stillwater. Uh, he went to uh, Cali Community College and then came here, uh, Isaac Stebbins. But he was – he led the Big 12 in VAA on his fastball. But – and he was like 88, 92%, 93% fastball usage. But we ended up doing – and obviously he got success up in the zone – uh, was swinging miss whenever late. And that was a lot of his punchies. Um, but we, I mean, we gave him a like, Rob is like, like God's gift at pitch design. Just like, Hey, feel like, feel this. And then the guy will throw it. That's a sweeper with like this much. And the, they're like, what? And he's like, there you go. Like, and, you know, and whatever, <laughs> like, but he also got like, you know, we gave him a two seamer because from that, from that action, you know, like to start the year lefties were kind of hitting him a little bit. Um, yeah. So we had to give him the break, you know, the tunnel, Um and all the like from that angle, you know, you set the you pre spin uh, preset the spin tilt, they it's the ball's going to do itself. Like you know, it's going to take off, it's going to run. Um, so it's not anything extra that the kid has to do on the ball. Like they're not going to sit there and search for extra feel and spin. Like they're already in the like in that slot, they're throwing that way. Like just naturally let it run. Um, and he did, and it was it was freaking gross to lefties. Like I think you know the average EV total is like 76 mile an hour against him this year, so it was it worked. But like you said though, like it's cool that you know our first rounder two years ago, Justin Campbell was like a six three or six four release height, and everything we threw with it, and it was like he came back, junior year from sophomore year. We don't we still don't know why, but like. He went up, like, 250, 300 RPMs on his fastball. Like, IVB went up, like, all this stuff. We're like, holy crap, like, we're going to punch out so many guys up in the zone. I feel like we never did. Like, we just lived down. But it's because, I mean, obviously you guys know, like, he had a super, super high release. And, like, the way that the hitters proceeded when it came in, that, like, they thought it was going to stay down. Um, And actually a thing that our pitching coach's son, Donnie Walton, tells us, like at their level, so in AAA, the big leagues is they hate high spin heaters at the bottom of the zone because especially from a steep, from a steep, steep angle, to them it looks like it's going to stay below the zone, but it, it ends up just either staying on plane just a hair longer or it catches it, you know, at the bottom of the zone, and it, to the to the umpire they see it and they'll give it to you. Um, and we hammered that with Justin for a year, and I think he punched like one hundred and forty-two kids. So yeah, it just changes based on each guy, but. You know, that's the cool part and the scientific part to get into with pitching.
2: And then the, the, the last thing that, that, you know, I want to, you know, just nerd out a little bit too much on the pitching side. But, you know, I, for me, it's, it's looking at the breaking balls and kind of how we've gone through this transition of this new era. Because I remember, you know, when, when a lot of this first started and we started having this information readily available, you know, two things kind of happened. Everybody was looking at spin rate. Right. That was the number one thing. It's like, what's the spin rate? What's the spin rate? And I feel like we've kind of moved on from that into, you know, to me at least personally, I I mean, I think axis of the pitch, you know, release height and then spin efficiency, right? How much of that are we actually, you know, is that, does it matter? How much of the, how many of those RPMs actually matter? And then as far as the breaking balls go, because I felt like we, we really got into gyro sliders. Everybody was throwing a gyro slider. Yep. And now it's kind of a sweeper sweeper this year. Yeah. Which, I hope you agree with this. This is just kind of a sidebar. I don't like that we categorize it as a different pitch. It's just a version of a slider in my mind. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it's just a slider. But what do you think to me is, are there some absolutes on that stuff? And, And why do you think the, what has made us go from those gyro slider breaking balls to now getting the more sweepers? And is it, you know, is it something about, you know, is there an efficiency, a spin efficiency that kind of ties to like, Hey, if this guy has, you know, can spin his fastball at 98% and then, you know, he struggles to, you know, kill that much on the slider Then we can create the sweeper. Where has that shift kind of come in, in, in your opinion?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's more about what we just talked about before is people realize that you can't just give every single guy the same pitch and you got to individualize each guy. Um, now we've kind of gone back to the, the now everybody's trying to throw sweepers. Um, and, I, th- I mean, obviously if it's good, it's good. Um, but I think it – It and I think the good teams, like the Dodgers and the, you know, the Twins are really good at pitching development and the, obviously the Braves and the Rays and all these guys is, you know, they – I think they focus more on the individual and what each guy – you know, are they a supernator or are they are a pronator? Like, in looking individually into each guy and making sure that they throw what they throw the best. Like, we had a, our Long Beach transfer – from last year, that was the third rounder of the Blue Jays, and he got a million in the third round. Like, he's he has a, like a hand of God, just gyro slider. Like it's right off the table last second. But he he pronates or he supinates so well that you know our first thing was like he threw a curveball like one percent at Long Beach. We're like you know you need to throw this like twenty percent, twenty five percent. Like you know we we got to do what like we got to tailor what you're good at, you know and. You know, the fastball was good, but it was a little inefficient because he cut it a little bit and everything, and it still had some ride. But we tried to tailor to his ability to supinate, and we we added the curveball. And we we didn't add the curveball. We implemented it more. Um, but I guess kind of like that route, I would say, is kind of what the good teams do. I would not to name names because my favorite team does not do this. Um, <laughs> but and we won't name that that team. Um <laughs> But, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just – I think it's a fad. You know, like everybody's trying to chase that, that super cool – like, you know, they're seeing, you know, Sonny Gray throw a gyro slider on TV with the twins. They're like, I have to throw that. Right. So everybody starts throwing it, but it's not as good because that's not what you're meant to throw out of your – just your delivery and your slot.
0: So – I'm gonna run it back because you said something five minutes that I gotta I gotta clarify. I heard it right. <laughs> Did you call a low slot, high riding fastball a rocket ship? Yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's yeah that awesome. is a good one. That, <laughs> that at home. I mean, we that we, we so don't like, We don't want to color code it when
1: our guys are going to the plate, man. Like they're like, how is it? Like, dude, it's, <laughs> it's the rocket. Ship. Like, you gotta see it now, man. Like, there's no other way. Like. And like some guys do see that as, you know, the, <laughs> yep, yep. but yeah, like that's what we, we categorize it as is if it's really, really good, like, bro, you're facing a rocket ship tonight. Like, good luck.
0: Like, that's phenomenal. Like I, you said that and I was like, oh my gosh, that's a good one. Cause I'm yeah. all about any other way to describe a pitch in a, in a unique way. You're going to listen right. to this podcast. I'm going to start calling every fastball a rocket ship <laughs> that needs that because um, I used to call it the invisible that's what I used right, to call yeah. it because because you think you got it you're on time and everything and then yep. it's over your barrel and you're just like but rocket ship so much cooler um, but you kind of mentioned it there and and you know professionally we see it a lot and and so I want to kind of because you you kind of took us into it talking about your Long Beach uh, transfer and implementing the curveball that he only threw one percent time and we you know I keep peeping over Dan's shoulder and Lance Lynn's on the mound with the Dodgers and, you know, he comes over the, from the White Sox and they, you know, up his four-seamer percentage uh, back to what right. it used to be, cut the cutter, add the sweeper. Like how much of that comes into play when you're evaluating potential transfers and then yep. getting him in, in the boat and then kind of implementing those changes of being like, no, we think you can do this well. And – like, I guess it, it, the negative side of me goes, why isn't everybody else doing this? Like, you kind of mentioned your favorite team. We don't have to call them out by name, but they haven't developed a pitcher since some old guy who's getting ready yeah. to retire, it feels it's like. Fun. I was in <laughs> school, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like, it, it seems so simple because we sit here and have this conversation, but, like, it's not that simple. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But yeah. kind of talk about that implementation and, and how that comes into play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So...
1: That's kind of been the huge takeoff the last two years, last two summers, I would say. And a huge part of that, the evaluation tool has to do with uh, True Media, which is our analytical tool that we have. Um, and thank God we did. We bought it last year because I, I will never not say it's the best thing ever. Um, but the, so they, they actually implemented a portal tab. On their uh, the website, we can go in and see when a guy goes in to the portal. Like we automatically have it on our uh, on our thing, and not bragging at all because it actually makes me sound like I don't have a life. Yet, but I led the country and page views on True Media this year, That's and awesome. yeah, so I definitely didn't have a social life at all this year. Um, but the the ability for us to know. Like, we know we lose, like, in a pitching staff or, like, position guys-wise. You know, we can kind of sit down as a staff and just be like, all right, like, what do we want in the lefty? Like, you know, like, we got to, you know, obviously you want a strike thrower. Like, what, you, you good change up? Like, you know, high strike percentage? Like, whatever. Like, it could be like a pitch shape. Like, you know, you want a guy with a, a wipeout sliders, you know, high spin, you know, high strikeout percentage, whatever. Like, we can, you know, from from in that meeting – You know, I can kind of sit there and within like 10 seconds, you know, you have a list of 2000 kids in the portal to seven, like, and then you go, okay, like, what does this guy do? Well, like, you know, we'll go in, you go through all the tabs, you know, what, what we try to do with our philosophy here at OSU and kind of just emulate them or envision them in being. You know that kind of guy i guess or like even if it's pitch, uh, pitch usage like that's another big thing for us is we've had a lot of success in the past um, especially on the reliever side i would say it's like guys that have been at other schools and you know, they could be power five d2 whatever like that that are huge like high you know like third their slider 82 percent of the time whatever like we had a kid from uh, ohio state that came in he actually was undrafted with milwaukee two years ago and then he he's a 3,000 spin slider, um, you know, we saw that initially, but it's like, okay, like what what does he need to do to go from being a, you know, he's going to get righties out in the thing, you know, but he's only going to face one batter to how do we expand him over an inning to two innings to three innings, whatever. And like, and we can, you, it's amazing because my first year here at OSU, we didn't have this. Like, but you know, we can go in and, I mean – Anything we think on a guy that we can change, like, and know what we can do, we can sort, filter it, go down to the smallest nook and cranny. And and, and it's a part of the recruiting pitch to him, too. Um, that, you know, hey, like, this is what you're good at. You were used like this last year, you know, and you had a 780 RA, whatever. But we think if you listen to us, if you buy in completely with Coach Walton, with, you know, the hitting side, with Josh and Matt and all these guys, whatever, like, we can change you to become a guy that we know works because we've seen that guy have a lot of success here in the last, how it made this is Josh's 13th year. So, you know, it's kind of cool. And that's, you know, it's, it's using analytics to a full, but it's kind of using the big league, you know, mindset on drafting and scouting and all that stuff to, you know, you know, you want a guy from a D three, but he's really, he's really good. Like, you know, and you see it in the data whenever, like, we'll we'll take that guy. Like, you know, it's but true media is a huge help to that for us.
2: When you might not be able to answer this question, um and or you can dance around it without getting any trade secrets where are there any absolutes when you're doing that filtering? Is there something that like, you know, I if if there's a guy who pops up and, and whether it's a metric or a certain number of something where it's like this is a guy we want in our program because we know we can, we can maximize whatever that may be.
1: Right. Uh, I mean, I, on, to me, VA is obviously a huge, just looking at a fastball profile. I mean, if you know that it's flat as it can, like it can freaking be like, you know, we can, we can do exactly what we just talked about. Like, you know, based on a guy's arm slot, whatever, we can help manipulate you to get to, something that's either a steeper VAA or we're going to raise your slot a hair and maybe give you an overhand curveball, Like we don't know. Like, but VAA is kind of the, I mean, the game's played off the fastball like, and we, you know, we want to have the best version of a fastball possible. You know, when we look at guys and recruit guys or when, when we think we can bring in a guy in the portal, that's kind of overlooked or, you know, Juco, whatever. Cause we see that from this slot, you know you're not really being told how to throw your fastball the right way like we we think we it's not a secret but you know we think that we can try to manipulate and speed that process along so 100 va is one of the bigger ones
0: so i'm going to ask you a little bit here about about specific pitches um yeah. and kind of specifically we'll, st- we'll stick with the fastball here so dan and i were on here one day and and we we're kind of talking about some guys at the pro level and i think it was a couple months back we had an episode where we were specifically talking about the fastball right? right and the shapes and the different things and you know is there anything that you look at so like I, and i don't know a way to quantify this or but i basically kind of came up with like the idea that a fastball has to move two planes whatever you would call that right like if it's yeah. going to be like garrett cole has a two plane vertical one plane horizontal fastball and yeah. justin verlander has you when he was prime peak pre Tommy john you know coming back he was probably three planes straight vert and then you kind of yeah. categorize guys into that like corbin burns is one plane left and, and two planes vert and with his cutter is that something that you think there is some validity to that, like, and again, college game's different, right? Garrett Cole obviously has a heater that's unhittable at the MLB level, That that thing would be dominant, like, you know, potentially right. 50% swing and miss in, at any level of college. So is that something that you do value? It's not just necessarily true backspin. It's not necessarily true sync, but if you can kind of match multiple planes in any direction yeah. it to make a true pitch, a pitch truly elite.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I would, I think you hit it spot on. I mean, it's you know, if you have a fastball that rides a little bit and cuts a little bit, like we're gonna we're gonna use that to your advantage. So like, we might only throw it in that top left and top left and top, you know, or bottom left quadrants, but or maybe go back door or whatever. But like, no, like understanding how a guy like when a guy's at like their peak success like, what their pitch is doing at that success, like, I think that's when you try to value, like, you know, we can try to get back to that, I guess, or if they've lost it or whatever, like, but, you know, we, we tried to recruit a couple guys this summer that they had lost their fastball shapes to, you know, the, trying to chase extension, trying to chase, you know, arm angle, like, whatever, but, like, and that was kind of, you know, our point was, you know, your fastball was moving a certain way last year, you know, and I'm—I I'm, won't say his name, but I'm like, one is in my head because that was like the first thing I saw on paper was like, holy crap! Like he had a lot of success two years ago with a kind of a cut ride, um, and you know, this year it was flat, like it was flat as can be, and you know, that's understanding the shape of it, yeah. But you know, try to chase, you know, we don't want something that's moving one way, I guess. Like you know, we had a freshman this year that kind of. Took on a little bit more responsibility or whatever because he has a, a high riding, but it's a cut. Like it, it's not Corbin Burns, obviously. But like, you know, when he was right, like he could throw it down the middle, and like they weren't going to see it because you know it was riding just the hair, but it was cutting away from a righty's barrel, or like he broke two bats in a midweek game to a lefty, and like we're like we have to tailor to his natural cut, like one hundred percent. And you know it's the you know, I don't, I don't think having just a one plane, obviously it's, it's, it's not good, but you know, if you think you're cutting it and it's bad, like it's not, like it's good. Like we want to, we want to abuse the cut actually, because then you could probably pair a slider off that cut. So, um, yeah, no, I'm with you. You hit it right on the head. That's that stuff that we hundred percent look for. And if it's, un, if it's underused, then we're going to, we're going to try to abuse it next year in the spring you to get hitters out so so just really quick
2: sorry I, i've got to jump in here because you guys started talking about something i spent the entire summer of 21 trying to figure out if you could teach the cut ride because to me right. like if you can teach the cut ride fastball i don't know how many i mean just i just think that's a, a total neutralizer yeah as, as far fair. as just as yeah. A, yeah as a righty especially like what you can open up to left i mean just watch what corbin burns has done i mean like it, but Is that something like because I could not figure out how to teach the cut ride? Because to me, it always seemed like we would lose a lot of the ride when we would start to cut it. Is that something that you think is just maybe because of, I don't know, the the axis of the wrist position, or have you guys had any successes with actually teaching the cut ride?
1: Yeah, so I think it's more of, I don't think we've ever tried to teach it. It's just the guy does it and you're like, you're like, no, because he's like, he's like, well, I want to backspin it. You're like, no like this like you're gonna get more swing and miss like this like we had a freshman lefty that did that last year um i think it's more just probably chasing the gyro on that just like there's gonna be like probably 90 percent around like in that range i guess um right because you're you're still not completely losing your backspin but you're getting a little bit of like a hair of it in there um yeah, I don't know, especially from the low slot because we had two, both of our guys were like five, 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 six release heights that did it, and they're ninety-two, 94. So, especially from that, like that height, we're we like, dude, you're already you're better than the other two freshmen we have. Like, just do your thing, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> just throw that ninety percent of the time, and we'll be good. We'll get out. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And and then also too is it's the. It's like people try to fix a supinator being a supinator it's like no just like tailor his whole repertoire to being this or if he's a pronator like pronate the pronate the living crap out of everything like but it goes back to it has to be like what your guy does to his best 100 percent, and what he naturally does because that's what he's going to repeat better anyway
0: so yeah Cole, My ego's flaring up. I'm gonna I'm gonna fluff your ego a little bit. It's not this easy, is it? Because we seem to have no. all the organizations that can't that can't get out no. of their own way when it comes to getting a picture yeah, right. Yeah, no. This is. I mean, this is a process that, like I said, to start this,
1: like, like PD is our fall. Like, like our first bullpen will have every sort of technology. First BP on the field, all sorts of technology on the field. But we want like. No, no, none of the coaching staff coaches our guys during the first week. Like we just want to see them and you guys know, like you just wanted to naturally have them do their, their flaws, like whatever they feel comfortable with. So then we come back on Monday morning, the second week in August or that'll be September 1st that, you know, our guys are like, all right, this is, this is what you're doing. It's good, but here's our plan. And obviously they have to buy in too. Like if they don't buy in, then it's, It's a whole crapshoot, and everything's out the window. Um, But it's a slow, slow process, and like obviously, some things click faster than others, or sometimes it never clicks at all. Then you have to go a different direction with pitch design or swing, you know, plane or decisions or whatever. Um, And obviously, and honestly, a lot of that changes too when scrimmages start because everything they're doing in BP off the machine it's you know it's kind of engineered to be one way but when they step in the box or they step on the mound that first scrimmage everything goes right they start spinning up top and it's like oh lord like
0: he looks just (laughs) like
1: we saw him his junior year in high school like we gotta you gotta like you gotta tailor it to both sides i guess and that's where like rob and josh and all these guys are good because we'll stop a scrimmage during a scrimmage and just like all right calm down like remember what you did in the bullpen like What'd you feel? Like, what'd you feel there? Like whatever, whatever it can possibly be. Like it could be a guy figures out their slider in April. Like, you know, we had our BYU transfer last year, had one of the most electric fastballs in the entire country last year as a freshman. And he kind of lost that this year. And we could never get him back to that spot. And then we actually threw him in game two against Texas tech in, uh, 12 uh, tournament down in Arlington, we needed to be in to go to the title game, and we don't know what happened, but it clicked. And he just like he went from being three quarter, everything was flat, to like he wasn't getting into his back hip, to all of a sudden it was like it looked like BYU him, and it clicked. Like, we and we, had, you know, I probably had 500 Edgatronic videos of him, like whatever you could think of, we tried and it just it wasn't working and then finally it did and then he went out and shoved it into Cape Cod this summer too um so hopefully it sticks with him now but no it's not easy it's not easy at all
0: (laughs) yeah so you you took me down a a couple pathways that I want to go um and when you talked about evaluation right and and being able to evaluate guys early in the you know, early in the fall and being able to implement, like, individualized stuff. What are some of the things you guys look at? I'm sure what, max exit VLO, things like that, chasing those numbers, and, and what right. are some other things that you guys look at?
1: Yeah, so one of the bigger things we started looking at last year was 90th uh, EV because um, that's I feel like that's a better telling story of what you actually can do at the plate. Um, like, if you're going to be a, a high doubles, high power guy, like, you're going to have a higher – obviously 90th ev or whatever um but if you're if you don't like then we might you're going to do more hit and run you know you're gonna be a singles guy you know you might have to have other parts of your game that you you know the other guys can't the boppers can't you know they can do um if that was one oh man 90th ev I i mean it's it's old as crap but strike percentage is always like king like can't you can't measure spin rate and a strike percentage, but you know you throw strikes like that's the first thing you got to do um, to have success. I mean, I don't know if there's really any specific evaluation, um, but we have goals obviously for every guy. Um, but I think it's more of just if we actually see progress or not with guys per se. Um, if you don't see progress, then there, there's we're, there, we're doing something wrong or they're not as up to aptitude, I guess, to be at our school. Like, I mean, it's just as plain as that. Um, so, yeah, those are kind of the two that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about a, a lot of things that,
2: you know, a, the average baseball fan might not understand or just puts into the analytics closet and says that you can't play the game on, on a spreadsheet. But I think that – What's been so great about talking to you is is you've kind of put into perspective for a lot of people how you can. But I also, you know, because what what makes me want to bang my head against the wall whenever I see the the you know the Jeff Fries of the world on Twitter um, right. is is the, you know, the the like analytics are not like this this. You can use both. It should be, it's just a tool. They are a tool to help you develop, right? Like, that's it. Yeah. It's just a tool to help you develop. It's not crazy. And what you yeah. just said right there, I, I just want to kind of. You just said strike percentage. And, like, that's such a great point. Like, here you are, you're talking about all this great analytical stuff that is just, you know, fires me up to no end. But then things like strike percentage still do matter because something else you've mentioned is you know, lights go on and it's go time and, you know, a kid's out there and and it's been great in the bullpen, but then the mental takes over and, you know, the compete takes over. And so you have to be able to blend that. What To people who sit there and and, and shake their fist and grab the pitchforks and light the torches at at analytics, what is kind of your, you know, I guess pitch for the analytics side of things?
1: Um, I mean, so my pitch when I first got here – josh was i will i mean i'll never analytics will never step into like your role as the head coach like it'll never tell you like like how to exactly i mean it it does but like at the end of the day the manager still has the human element of you know making the lineup like telling a guy when to get up in the pen bring him in whatever but i just told him that you know if you trust it if you buy in like and i that I think I know everything, like not everything, obviously that sounds bad. Um, but like knowing what I know. And then I told him, I was like, it's, it's, it's only going to help. Like, it's not going to be a hindrance. If no, if you look at it a certain way, it's a hundred percent going to be a hindrance. Like, and I did have, there was a little bit of a, of a grace period when I got here that, you know, it wasn't necessarily to this ex- not extreme, like to this level, like, you know, it was, Well, what is his, you know, what is his batting average? And it's like, well, it's two eighty. It's like, okay. Then I just walk away and be like, okay, there's (laughs) more of a story here. Like, like let me paint this picture for you, like using this data and you know whatever metrics and I don't know. I mean, it's only if you use it the right way. It's all all it does. You win, you win rings, and you get people paid. That's my viewpoint on it like and that's what everybody wants to do in life anyway like now if you use it as like oh this is a threat to my job like I'm the pitching coach or I'm the hitting coach and you know whatever you're already causing one you're causing rift on your staff like so that's that's one thing so then you're not going to want to come into work every day or you try to avoid people it's going to be hard to work with whatever like I just I just think that you have to view it as it's a tool to help you win. It's like that in the end of the day it's what it is. Like I'm not gonna go out there and hit a ball four hundred fifty feet off the scoreboard. I'm not. But I can tell you to my best ability of where that pitch is gonna end up. Like two one in the zone. Like that's as much as I can help you. And if you swing and miss, then you can come back and curse me out and do whatever you want. I have a thick skin, it's okay. Like
0: but we're you're playing percentages. Like that's
1: all it is
0: at the end of the day. So. Well, that's what I was going to say. If you were, if you were gambling, like no brainer, like 65% yep, right. chance you're going to get something like, yeah, house on it, right? Like that's, yep. that's how it is. And that's how like anything with analytics is that's, that's how I view it. I mean, you talked about it. I believe it was off air uh, when you talked about Robin Ventura just saying, well, every time a guy beats a shift, Hey, we're playing the percentages, Josh plan the percentages. Right. Like, and that's all it is. Right. Like if you're a gambling man, like that's no brainer, give me the percentages. That's easy.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if a guy does something, like I said, off air, you know, 2% of his, like his entire college career, let alone his professional career, like, you know, you have to tailor yourself to that because you're just putting yourself in the best position to win. And if they do that, then you probably aren't going to win that day. Like the baseball gods aren't after you that day. So I don't know. At the end of the day, it's, it's a lot of percentages, but like you said, it's gambling. To, not, not completely, because NCAA, you know, don't hear this. <laughs> um, but like, it is what it is, man. Like, you got to play what a guy does the most of the time. Like, if he pulls a ground ball 80% of the time, you're going to have three guys on the left side, especially if we can still do it at this level. Like, you know, or if, or if they, you know, a lot of, we have one team in our league that we will play our center field off gap the entire game because all they do in the air, line drives, fly balls, bloops, whatever, is they're just taught as a, as a program to swing in the air backside, like, and we will play our center fielder there. And the, the spray charts, everything you can look at tailored to that. So, and that's kind of both sides blending, I guess, a little bit. But it's just it's just another percentage at the end of the day. So.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome, and, and that's what it's all about, and that's being able to translate it to to the everyday fan as well. It's just like it's just going to put you in a position. I always view baseball as a vacuum, right? Like I I always used to say, like, as a hitting coach, my job is to perform over the long haul. As a head coach, your job is to win the game in front of you, right? Right. So, like, I always – I used to say this, my hands up. All the head coaches that I've worked for, they know this is how I feel. In the bottom of the ninth, two outs, runner in scoring position, we're down by one. I'm taking 110 to the warning track at 20, which might get out. But let's say deep center, fly out at 110 any day of the week over a bloop single to tie the game. Every day, 10 out of 10. That's my job as the hitting coach is to put that guy in a position because if he hits at 110 every time he steps up to the plate, he's probably going to have more success than the blooper guy. But as a head coach, you should be fired up about the blooper, right? Like, put it in play, create havoc, oh, all those yeah, things like, like that. The but bleeder. the process in a vacuum is is the biggest thing in, in being able to have that success.
1: Right. No, I mean, it's – you know, you actually just – like, I just had nightmares of a, a midweek game. We had to end our, our last midweek game. Our, uh, our three-hole hit a ball to the wall off of more Robert's closer who got like 195 and like the 11th or whatever like it was stupid money for a reliever but he's like he's on really good but we we blew the game or we blew the lead in the eighth and then we scored two in the ninth and we had a guy on second and he had a ball to right center at the wall and it was like 114 off the bat like it one of the most pure sounds i've ever heard a ball come off of a bat and the guy like made a hell of a play on it caught it whatever it's like like, all of our guys in the huddle after the game were so mad. They're like, oh, whatever, blah, blah. And, you know, like, and we blew the game. Like, Josh told him, he was like, you know, we did everything we just tried to do. And we coached you to do. Like, we coach you to come back in scenarios that amount to a lot of high pressure situations, like you just went through and you scored two runs and you hit a ball about as hard as his max EV is. It's probably 114 around there. And he probably put one of his best swings of his life and we lost. So, like, the analytics will say it's good, obviously, but we lost. But, you know, there's still a process and everything that go into it. And like what you just said, like, we, you know, as coaches, you're trying to just get your guys in the best positions possible. And that's kind of using analytics. is because you know when a ball comes out of your hand or when you're hitting the ball a certain way, like, that's when you're at your best. So if you can try to repeat that as much as
0: possible, you're going to be a pretty damn good player. So, well, Colton, we, we want to be respectful of your time. So, just a couple more questions before we get out of here. But I, I mean, I'm already my head's in the weeds with you. We're we already got you back on, and at the end of the fall to, to dive more in detail, because there's so oh, many ways yeah, man. I want I want to go. But uh, kind of take a second. I mean, we're we're now you know 66 minutes into this, and we haven't even gone taking the time to mention the the coaches that you've worked with, the staff yep. that you're lucky enough to. How's that experience? I mean, you can fluff the guys individually because I'll miss somebody. But, like, for people that don't know what Oklahoma State's baseball coaches are and, like, their names you'll recognize (laughs) across the baseball community, kind of just go into what that experience is.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, obviously I'll start at the top. Uh, Josh, Josh Holliday, this is his 13th year at OSU. He's coached at Vanderbilt, Arizona State, NC State. Went back to Vanderbilt. He went to six College World Series before getting to here. Uh, he played here. I mean, his dad was a coach here in the '90s, uh, assistant coach in the '80s. Uh, I think we made 12 straight World Series appearances between the '80s and '90s, something like that. Like it was stupid good. Um, so the like the the lineage kind of started with Josh. Um, obviously, his brother Matt Holiday. Um, Every probably baseball fan knows who he is, judging by how we got off airplanes or bus trips everywhere, because everybody wants a lot of graph. Um, uh, one of the best, probably hitters, like pure hitters for his size. Like, like, the guy could definitely play left tackle for the Chiefs right now, like in the tape he's in, or come back and be a bench bat for the Yankees again. Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I mean, he won two or three Silver Sluggers, uh, finished top five in the MVP one year. Uh, I think he was the NLCS MVP in 07. So obviously, I mean, everybody knows Matt. Matt's a freaking man. Um, Side note to that, we actually have been blessed to have Jackson and Ethan around the facility every day for the last four years. Um, Obviously, Jackson was the first pick. um, And then Ethan's going to be a top five pick next year, 25. uh, So he's a junior this year. Um, So our guys are lucky enough that they take BP and ground balls and hang out with them every day. Um, We have Rob Walton our pitching coach, uh, 25, 30 years uh, pitching coach. He pitched all the way up to AAA. He pitched here at Oklahoma State. Um, He's been a three-time USA baseball head coach, uh, won two gold medals. Uh, I want to say he's put 15 to 20 guys in the big leagues between here and he was at ORU. Um, So – Rob's man. man, we call him the wizard for a reason because he doesn't need an edgetronic camera with his eyes, and he's 60. Like, you would think you don't. Like, you would need an edgetronic. He does not. Like, he knows spin, come out of hand, everything. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, we had Rob Ventura the last four years, and unfortunately he's done now. Um, he just got married, so he's going to go live his, uh, his best life off of the field, uh, which is awesome for him. Uh, but he's undoubtedly, like, the best college baseball hitter of all time. Um, and, I mean, 20 years in the big leagues, and obviously was a manager in the big leagues too, so everybody knows that. Um, we had him as our student coach, and then he was our volunteer after that. So he actually got his degree the Thursday or Wednesday before we had Arkansas in for the regional. So, like, the entire team went and watched him graduate, and that was that was pretty sick to see. So he was, he was living that up. Uh, then we had Jory Mercer, who played 10 to 12 years, in the big leagues pirates tigers and nationals uh he was our infield coach last year um he's the man like he's awesome like he he loves every he actually might be the first ever 8u head coach to make a lineup based off ops plus so if you want to <laughs> <laughs> i can at him at that but he uh i walked in on him in the locker room one day and he was making his lineup for his kids game that night he was going off their ops pluses so <laughs> that was that was great um it, it was more to just uh, tell some of the parents to shut up but uh it's like yeah your kid sucks he's he has an 82 ops plus like but he's eight <laughs> uh yeah i mean it's we're, we're extremely blessed that you know we probably had the most note like notable names on a college baseball coaching staff um and the plus side of that too is Matt has pro guys come work out here in the winter. So we had Matt Carpenter last winter, two winters ago. So that was kind of the whole story was Matt reworked his swing here at over 8, And then he had the year last, the breakout year last year um, and credit all of his, success, of his success to Matt. Um, and then this last off season, he had uh, belly came down and spent like a week and a half with him and um, Joey Gallo was here. Um, oh, what's his Roman Anthony was here with Jackson. Um,
0: <laughs> is that your guy? No, I was just. I now I got a question. Uh, <laughs> and I was telling Dan that I gotta ask the next question. What? do you got? Is like, was he trying to flatten them out? Yes. I won't. I won't go on like
1: the whole. No, listen. don't
0: have to. Yeah, don't have to. <laughs>
1: No, I mean, it was pretty sick to see, like, especially with Belly, because yeah. Gallo, Gallo did a lot of weightlifting here, too, so that was fun, um, but, like, Belly's thing was, like, they didn't even, like, take BP the first, like, two days, like, it was strictly just, like, no lower half, like, trying to just stay backside, like, whatever, like, and, like, he felt it, like, he's, like, he, the biggest thing was, and obviously, he's, a pro like, a pro guy, but all of our guys are in there watching, you know, him do it and everything, but, like, Matt would tell him to do one thing and he'd swing. He's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, that's it. He's like, that, like the Dodgers never told me to do that. And he was like, yeah. Really? And I, you would think the Dodgers would be the first one to, to be the first one to tell, on that. tell um, that. Um obviously, honestly,
0: obviously eighteen. Danny right, a little, little bit, so <laughs> No, you're good. Um, no, that's that's unreal. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, no, it's, that's kind of the cool second half. And Like Jackson's going to bring some guys hopefully this winter, like tomorrow and all those guys to come work out with him um, that they'll kind of just intermingle with our guys at the same time. So – and obviously I think Matt's working for – Matt's officially with Boris is like his hitting consultant now. So he has an $85 million college baseball stadium to use as his uh, training ground. So we're not going to hit that at all in recruiting. But it's a, uh, wow. it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty remarkable to be around. So, and they're all great humans too. Like that's the, like, there's no egos, whatever. Like they're the most down to earth guys. Like they want me to have as much of success, like in my role and future roles, whatever is, as, as they did, you know, in their pro careers. And that's cool when you see them take the time to, you know, sit down and talk baseball with me and just, you know, just talk about baseball I mean honestly like that's the biggest thing is you're talking with guys that have like 50 years or 40 years combined experience in the big leagues like not a lot of people get to go to their nine to fives to do that every day
0: um so that's pretty cool all I'm gonna say you're gonna you're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna have me on your doorstep this winter (laughs) with like with the names that are rolling in there i'm be like dude you might not know me but you're gonna get to know me quick i just popped <laughs> up here one day it's sick and so yeah, cool. yeah come on down we're uh we have an open door policy here so it's pretty uh it's pretty cool yeah you don't gotta tell me twice when you start throwing around joey gallo's my guy too right Re- he's my yeah i'm because people don't appreciate how good of an athlete you have to be to to hit the way he right. does, and and we, be we didn't as have enough weight for him to lift either in our weight room. So
1: that was <laughs> yeah. seeing him take BP on the field was one thing, and like forty oh degrees, and gosh. he's putting balls over our batter's eye, and yeah. like still like not even at their apex. But like then him going after and like trying to deadlift like five hundred. It's like, dude, what?
0: Yeah, it's powerful. I, I, yeah, I mean we. We'll be on here all night, but I always say that like, there's there's a level of athleticism where you can be such a good athlete and so physically gifted that you can outperform a, a flawed swing. Yeah. And the guys that are able to make it to that level because his swing's not perfect. You don't you don't whiff that much. I'm I'm sure he's getting advice because he knows right. that it's not perfect. There's there's some things that. need to be improved on but to get to that level to perform at that level with a flawed swing quite frankly like not not a perfect picture perfect swing or or even what probably most people would deem as close like that is a unique level of mutant mutant athleticism in my opinion that's That's why why i appreciate uh,
1: that yeah and that's why he's gonna get more chances than probably the average just ball player that makes it up there like you know, you can hear guys that I'm around all the time like, oh, we whiff so much, blah, blah, and then you see him make a play in center field and you're like, dude, a 6'6", 240 guys not supposed to look like that running after mm-hmm. a ball. And that's why he will get another $12 million contract this this winter or whatever
0: mm-hmm. just because you're banking on the fact he's going to find out how to do it mm-hmm. or put it all together. So, Yeah, no, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. But, um, you know, I've – shoot. That's all. That's all I got today. As much as I probably do have more in the docket, Dan, you have any any closing thoughts? It looks like you got your headphones back here and for Colton before we let him go.
2: No, this has been a blast. I
1: appreciate you coming on and doing this. it Has been awesome. Yeah, man. Anytime I get to talk baseball with anybody, it's a it's a no brainer. So I get too juiced up anyway. So that felt like twenty <laughs> minutes, and that was an hour. <laughs> <or 15>. So. <laughs>
0: No, no, that's phenomenal. And as I like to tell a lot of our guests that like we you said you have an open door policy, we have an open door policy by, by all means you ever want to come back on here and talk ball and, and you know, just get in the weeds on some things. I, again I'm not kidding you like I'm putting this on air so you're gonna run it back on me like you mentioned the open door policy do not be surprised if I, I don't know if Dan's coming for a 21 hour drive but but you might catch me out in Oklahoma and, and for a long weekend extended weekend that's yeah, all I'm gonna we gotta, say. we gotta make sure it ties in with one of those night games over at football yes. but yep yeah we can make that work for sure. <laughs> awesome awesome well colton thank you we appreciate it and thank you to our listeners for tuning in and that will conclude our episode for today make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms including apple pods spotify and anywhere you find your podcast we post episodes every monday wednesday and friday always hitting your feed at 7 a.m sharp don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.
3: Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, Find your game you want to go to and enter promo code Ball to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com promo code backside groundball. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball offers the best athletic leisure options going. We're talking shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could ask for. Perfect for all your events and activities this summer. You headed to a game, throw on a nice Routine tee and a hat. How about a cookout? Throw on some routine shorts and sunglasses. You'll be super comfortable, no sweat, perfect fit. I just got fitted in my routine stuff, and it's all I want to wear, and it's all I will be wearing this summer, and you can too. All you have to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have. And you can receive 10% off your offer today. Again, all you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10% off your order today.